I want to say that it is good to see everyone out this evening. We're glad you've come to worship God with us. Hopefully we'll have something to say as we might be able to use as we go along life's way and maybe have some things to ponder and to, to think about. I certainly appreciate all the hospitality that's been shown to me while I've been in your midst. I certainly appreciate that. I'm probably going to be buying new clothes by the end of the week if you keep feeding me the way you have, but that's a, that's a good problem to have. So if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Isaiah, the 55th chapter. Let's start in verses 8 and 9. I want to talk to you tonight about something that has been on my mind. I want to talk to you about five things that impress people, but don't impress God particularly. And I want to talk about the way we look at things and the way God says He looks at things. And I want to start in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. And I'm sure many of you are very familiar with these verses. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, people don't think like God. It's amazing to me when people try to put God in, in a box, and we try to understand God, and we try to say God's going to be the way we think He ought to be. The truth is we don't think like God. His thoughts are, are higher than our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. Let me give you an example. You know, one thing I like to do is I like to talk to you about the work I've been involved in. The gospel meetings we hold, all the Bible studies that we get to do and things. I want to talk to you about the good things that I do. But you know, the bad things in my life, I want to keep that a secret. You know what God said to do? God said, confess your faults. And the good things, the alms and things you do, do those in secret. And we're completely 180 out. Have you ever heard of somebody that did something really bad? Maybe they were a murderer of some sort. And it takes years that they're on death row before justice is finally done. Years ago, some of these young people, you may have to Google this. Ted Bundy killed a lot of people. He was a serial killer. They caught him and he was in the death house in Florida. And it come the day they were going to put Ted Bundy to death. Now, folks, you can't make this kind of stuff up. The McDonald's down there ran a sign, had a sign, and they showed it on the news, and it said, if Bundy fries, because he went to the electric chair, if Bundy fries, free fries. <laughs> so when they put him to death to celebrate that serial killer finally getting his, you got free French fries. It's not the way God looks at it. The Lord said, do I have any delight that the wicked should die? You say, we go, man, he finally got his. Now, when somebody that's a Christian and lived a good Christian life and served God their days, when they die, we just cry. And we should. But you know, the Lord said, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. The Lord had no delight that a wicked person would die, but precious in his sight was the death of one of his saints. God's completely 180 out with me and you. We don't think like God. Now, I know most of you here, and I know if somebody walks up to you and slaps the far out of you, fellas, be honest. Your first reaction didn't turn the other cheek. Come on. But that's what the Lord said to do. And so sometimes when we come to spiritual things, 
We don't think like God. That's why we've got to let God tell us what He wants us to do rather than us trying to tell God how He's going to be. You know, the first thing that I think people are very impressed with is numbers. How many mega churches do you know about? I imagine in this town there may be two or three mega churches, thousands of members. And people are impressed with that. I want to go where there's lots of people. There's people that look for that sort of thing. But we're not as concerned about what they're preaching and what they're teaching. We just think because there's a lot of folks, it's got to be a good deal. Now, there is a reason to want to have a large number. Because if a lot of people have obeyed the gospel, lots of people are going to be saved. And that's what the Lord wants. But numbers for the sake of numbers and sacrificing the preaching of the gospel just to have numbers is not going to cut it. In the days of Israel, in the book of Numbers, when they were going to go into the promised land, the Bible says the men of war were 600,000. You know, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, the Lord talked about the two ways. And when he come down to the end of the straight and narrow... He said, few there be that find it. You ever wonder what the Lord thought a few was? You ever wonder what is a few? In the days of Israel, the men of war were 600,000. You know how many made it to the promised land? Two. Doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. Two. Two men. Now that didn't count the old folks and it didn't count women. All those that were numbered from 20 years old and older, they didn't go in except for Caleb and jo two. You call that a few? I'd say that's a few, folks. Now in the days of Noah, the whole world perished except for eight souls. Eight out of the whole world. That sound like a few to you? When the Lord says few there be that find it, he meant few there be that find it. You know, I'm sure somebody said, oh, Noah, him and his little bunch think they're the only ones right. Years ago, I heard about a college kid that called California to the Church of Satan. Church of Satan was a big deal back then. And so this college kid called up. You'll appreciate the humor in this, I hope. But he called, that, called up the, the church of Satan. He said, I want to talk to Satan. Well, he didn't get to talk to Satan, but he got to talk to the high priest. And the high priest said, son, what can I do for you? He said, I just want to know, you really think you and your little bunch are the only ones going to hell? Kind of a flip on an old theme, isn't it? Noah and his little bunch, the only one right, one family? Really? It's what God said. You know, sometimes I hear it said, Marlon, it can't be wrong. Look at how many people are doing it. You know what God told Moses? Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Because a lot of people do it, don't make it right. Now, folks, there is estimated about one billion people, and it may be more than that now. There is one billion people with a B. A lot of folks. One billion people on this planet 
that will tell you you are following the wrong Messiah. You need to be following Muhammad instead of Jesus. Can a billion people be wrong? If Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Lamb of God that died for our sins, you bet they can be wrong. It doesn't matter if it's a billion or ten billion. Question is, are you following God? Now, the flip side of that coin, I think, is interesting. You know, the Lord said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Even if you were the last eight, the last two, even if you were the last one following him. He won't leave you and he won't forsake you. The old attitude of everyone else in doing it got Israel into real trouble. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 19 and 20, the reason they wanted to have a king, they said that we may be like all the other nations. You know what's funny about the way parents do about religion? Is we will do about religion exactly opposite what we teach our children to do. When our children are growing up, we tell them, don't follow the crowd. Don't go along with what everybody else does because we know it'll get them in trouble. But then we pick a place to go to church because everybody else does. Really? What kind of message do you think you're sending? We've gone to some small churches in my time and people go, don't you want your kids to go to a big church? Not particularly. Let me tell you something about my kids, and maybe mine were weird, I don't know. They went to school eight hours a day, five days a week. Now, my oldest one come up with a clever thing. Instead of being there to work on the farm when I really needed him, he goes, Dad, i got to go to school on Saturday. Really? He goes, yeah, our coach demands that we be there so we can break down film. Come to find out that really wasn't, if you wanted to, you, it was kind of an optional deal, you know. But Jeremy, Jeremy managed to squeeze in six days a week going to school and being with his little buddies. We played football. We played baseball. We played basketball. We got a tennis trophy. I didn't even know we were on the tennis team. They are with their friends all that time. Don't you think I could teach them to give God three hours a week? What kind of a message are we sending them? And then we don't understand why they can't stand up for themselves and be their own man or their own woman. Maybe they learned it at home. Because we go, we just want to go where everybody else is going. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Years ago, my dad asked me, Son... Everybody else jumped off a bridge with you? No, it was a train trestle. It wasn't a bridge. Well, I guess technically it was. You know, me and about five or six of my little buddies in the hot summertime were going across a train trestle, and we looked down in this creek, and there was water in the bottom of that, and one of them goes, I wonder how deep that is. Now, we got one that's a knucklehead. There's always one in every group. Teenagers are living proof that as a group they can make a decision dumber than any of the members. You don't want them together. One of them goes, I know how to find out, and he bailed off. Well, he survived, <laughs> which was fortunate. And then another one jumped, and another jumped, and then finally there was one idiot left on that bridge. Train trestle. You know what he did? I went right off with them. Yes, sir, if everybody else jumped off a bridge, you bet I would. I did, literally. 
But you know, my dad didn't want me to do that because he knew following the crowd was not a good way to be. And you as parents know that's not good. There's a lot of things out there can hurt them if they're following the crowd. Why would we do that with the Lord? Just because lots of people are doing something. You know, one thing that's big in the news media is polls. I think they take a poll for everything. And they think something must be okay if the majority of the people, Americans, want it and think it's all right. Doesn't matter what God said. Folks, let's follow the Lord and try to get lots of folks to follow Him. But I'm going to give you a hint here. God's people have never been the majority. Remember that. They've always been the minority. And that's why Jesus said, few there be that find it. You know, people are very impressed with church buildings. You've got a great building here. But you know, I doubt it's going to make, compared to some of the cathedrals and the Vatican and places like that, some of the great temples and mosques. People are always trying to build big buildings and impressive structures to God. God's not impressed with buildings. God doesn't particularly care whether you even have a building. God's more concerned about what you do inside that building than whether you have one or not. People think that they can impress God with their architecture and their structure. And it's nice to have a building. I know that. The Bible tells us God is a spirit in John 4, 24. He's not impressed with buildings. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, we must be doing good. Look at our building. And there's some big ones out there. But that's not what the Lord wants. He doesn't particularly care. You know, they met in caves. They met in upper rooms. Sometimes they met at a temple. Sometimes they met out by a riverside where they could say prayer. God wasn't particularly impressed with the structure, but we are. The world is. In 1 Kings 8, 27, Solomon had built the temple. And they say it was impressive. And they say that temple was something to behold. They say that the people that saw the rebuilt temple, that had seen the original temple, cried. Because the second one was so inferior to the one Solomon built. They say it was magnificent. And maybe it was. But as magnificent as that temple was, you know what Solomon said? The heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much this house that I have built in. God is not contained by four walls. God is not contained by a structure. I hope that when we go out of this place, and it is a magnificent place and we're lucky to have it. Fortunate, blessed. But I hope when you leave, God goes with you. And that it's not just here. You see, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, the Bible tells us where God wants to dwell. He wants to dwell in you. In your hearts. I shall be to them a people, he says. I shall be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. I'll dwell in them. Does the Lord dwell in you? He said he wants to. 
Hopefully when we leave the building, we have our God with us. We don't leave him at the building. But there's lots of folks that are impressed with big structures and great architecture. But the Lord isn't. He's more concerned about what you do when you worship him, whether it be by a riverside, in a cave, an upper room, or in a magnificent building. He's more concerned about what you do when you worship him. And he wants to dwell in you. That's how you become a living epistles. Because God dwells in you. You know, in real life, I kill bugs. But you know what I hope? I'm a hope that I'm a Christian that happens to kill bugs. You may be a Christian that happens to build houses, or you may be a Christian that works at a plant. But we're Christians first. And God dwells in us. That's where he wants to be. Have you ever noticed how people always have big plans for God? There's all kinds of things, you know, going around. There was one guy came up with this deal, and it was a theme park, and it was, you know, Six Flags Over Jesus is what it was going to be or something like that. I don't know what they called it. But they were going to have all this neat stuff, and they've got all these great ideas and all these great plans. Do you notice how churches are always have programs coming up, and we're all going to do this, we're going to do this great thing for God? Have you ever noticed that? Years ago, I was watching a TV show, and it was a church, a mega church, and they all had little hats on. You know the kind that had the elastic band that you used to pop your brother with? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And they had these little horns and they were tooting them. And their whole church was standing up and confetti was going and the band was just booming. And they were having a celebration of Jesus. What do you think of that? Man, it was huge. You know, the Bible talks about being corrupted from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. In the book of Numbers, the 22nd chapter, the 18th verse, and then again 24 and 13, Balaam says, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or evil of my own mind. But what the Lord speaks, that will I do. I won't go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or evil. We all have big plans. Now, I've got to be honest with you folks. I have lots of big plans. And I've never had a bad idea that I can recall. Bev would go to me and she'll say, Marlon, you don't think you're ever wrong. When were you ever wrong? And I'm going, I'll get back with you on that one. <laughs> you see, we all think we have good ideas. But the Lord's idea is the one that's important. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 3, God gives a command to Saul, King Saul. He says, go and utterly destroy Amalek. Is there anybody here don't understand what that meant? Go and utterly destroy Amalek. Destroy the Amalekites. Wipe them out. Well, you know what Saul did. They went down there and they won the battle and they brought back the best of the sheep and the oxen and the lambs, the goats, and they brought the king back as a prisoner. No, Samuel was getting old and he's a lot like I am. He couldn't see, but his hearing was evidently okay. I make up for lack of sight by not being able to hear. But he said, Saul, have you obeyed the voice of the Lord? And I love, Saul stayed with it as long as he could. You've got to give him credit for that one. 
He said, yea, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. And Samuel said, what means the bleeding of the sheep in my ear? I hear sheep. I hear the lowing of the oxen. You were told to utterly destroy them. How come I hear this? Oh, Saul, I'm telling you right now, he's on top of it. This is the way people think. That's the way they interpret the Bible today. He said, the people took of the sheep and the oxen. Now get this. The chief of the things that should have been destroyed. I just brought back the king. You know these people. You know how they are. <laughs> Don't get on me. You're the king, Saul. He didn't say bring back the chief of the things should have been destroyed. And oh, the king's a minor issue. He said utterly destroy them. Now Saul pulls out the big gun. And he's looking at Samuel. And he said, we brought these things back to sacrifice unto the Lord, your God, in Gilgal. Don't you love the way it became your God? <laughs> we brought back these things and we're going to have a super sacrifice like it's never been seen before. Now make something out of that, preacher. And it's to your God, Samuel. We're not stealing this stuff. You know what he told him? Does the Lord have great delight in burnt offerings as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to hearken to the fat of rams. You know, Bev and I have a house back home, Gunner. And I've got that house arranged. Well, Bev does. But there's one chair that sits in a certain place, and no matter what she does, that chair sits in that same room. She can rearrange all the furniture she wants. But that's my chair. And it happens to sit in front of a big screen. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't appreciate it if somebody come in, a guest, and decided to move my chair. That's my house. And that's my chair. And the angle is perfect for my screen. But you know, we don't think anything, about, anything at all about coming into God's house and just rearranging what we want to even have these great plans. And God said, just obey my voice. Just do what I told you to do. You know, there's people that they don't believe they can be saved unless there's something magnificent goes on. Naaman was that way. Naaman the leper in 2 Kings 5, he wanted to be cured of leprosy. And the man of God sent his servant out and said, Go wash in Jordan seven times. Your flesh will come to you again like the flesh of a little child. And the Bible says he went away in a rage and said, Behold, I thought he would come out and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? No. He said, Go to Jordan. His servants came to him and said, My father, had the prophet bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? If he wanted you to slay a dragon, wouldn't you have done it? Move a mountain? Why not just go do what God said do? Why not just go dip and be clean? And Naaman did. And when he dipped seven times, his flesh came like the flesh of a little child, according to the saying of the man of God. We always want to do some great thing. Just do what God told you to do. Just obey 
the voice of the Lord. You know, brethren, I believe unity is important. But political correctness for the sake of unity is not going to get it. You know, I've had people tell me, you know, Marlon, if y'all would let up on this baptism thing, we could get together. No, we got, we got a bunch of others you don't know about, but well, that would be the first hurdle. And so we got to change the plan of salvation because we're alienating people. You know, if you guys would take that sign down that says Church of Christ out there, we can get together. Now, I got concerns about that, folks. I want you to know that. I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ and to wear his name. I come out of the denominations. I'm a member of the Lord's church. And that sign says this is his. And I'm not ashamed of that name. And people tell me, Marlon, don't you know the name is divisive? You better believe it's divisive. Jesus said, I come not to bring peace but a sword. A man's foe shall be they of his own household. You better believe it. Are we ashamed to wear that name? I hope not. But if we'll change a bunch of stuff for the sake of political correctness, we can all get along. You know, there's people that talk about everybody's going to be saved. Universal salvation. It's just your concept of God. Really? Where'd you read that in the Bible? I've read where few there be that find it. I've read where not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom, but he that does the will of the Father. I've read that. Where'd you read everybody's going to be okay? As long as you worship God, God will accept it. It's not what he, Jesus said. Matthew 15, verse 9, Jesus specifically put that one down. He said, in vain they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. As long as you worship God? Where'd you read that? Oh, that's right, I'm sorry. We're judgmental. Do you know that being judgmental is commanded in Scripture? Now, we're not condemning. We'll let God do that. But the Bible says, try the spirits, whether they be of God. How do you do that? The next verse tells you, for many false prophets are gone out into the world. I always thought it was interesting to get around some of these folks and go, you believe there are false prophets out there in the world? Oh, yeah, they're false prophets. Jesus said, they'd be, beware of false prophets, you know, wolves, clothing, sheep. Name one. Ubba, 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 ubba. Really? Any lifestyle is acceptable. It's just an alternative lifestyle. I've visited with many of the brethren in different places, and they all have the same concern. One of these days, if we preach morals, it could be considered hate speech. Buckle your seatbelts, brethren. It's coming. It's coming. We may have to decide to obey God rather than man. But I don't care how many laws the government passes. It doesn't make it scripturally right. Now, I'm not down on any particular lifestyle more than any other. My son, 
youngest son went to the doctor. He's 17 years old, but he, I guess, still considered a minor, and I got to go in there with him while he's having a physical. So I go in there with him, and this day I'm glad I did. And that doctor talked to him about wearing protection. And that doctor looked at me and said, don't you think he needs to do that? And I told him, I said, I think he needs to wear a wedding ring. That's what he needs. If you're going to do that, you need a wedding ring. It's what God said. Marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled. Is that what we believe? Not just any way we want to live is okay. Back in the 60s, the saying was, do your own thing. Which basically means I want to do what I want to. At least they were honest about it. Now we want everybody else to accept my own thing. Should you fear God? Well, Brother Marlin, I think the word fear in the Bible really means a deep abiding respect. No, I think it means you ought to be scared of him. That's what I think. That's what it means. We read 2 Corinthians 5.10 about we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. A couple of verses below that, you ever read it? Here's what Paul said to the Corinthians. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. In the book of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, out on the farm, we work with cattle. And there's always one cow or a bull that's decided that she's got to eat everybody's sack lunch. I remember years ago, my father-in-law went and built a new lot for us to work cattle in. He dozed it all out and got it all fixed up and did the welding and all. Jack Hayes come and was looking at it. And, and my father-in-law looked at him and said, Jack, we messed up. And Jack said, how did you do that, Tex? He said, look at that bottom rung. It's only that high. You know, if something gets after us, we can't get under it. And he goes, Jack goes, yeah, you can. <laughs> and you know what? He was absolutely right. You better believe you can get under it. <laughs> you know, we're afraid of those things. We went up to Massachusetts years ago. Some of the kids from Gunner, Ricky, and some of her cousins went with me. And I remember the girls were very nervous about going from the road to the house because they have bears. Now, the kids up there are used to bears, and they shoo them away. But kids down here aren't going to be shooing bears. We're afraid of them. You know what the Lord told Job? You're afraid of these creatures, but not the Creator. I made them. I'm afraid of a bull when he gets after us. A bear just wandering loose. But do I fear God? Now, according to Solomon, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Now, folks, if we really believed there was consequences for our actions, wouldn't we do things different? But we don't fear God. The conclusion of the whole matter in Ecclesiastes was to fear God and keep His commandments. Do you fear God? He's something to be afraid of. 
when God speaks, he means business. And I think a good dose of fear would do us all a lot of good. Yes, we respect God, but we need to fear him. They did in the first century. When that ground opened up in the Old Testament and 3,000 went alive into the earth, you think they were afraid? I always love the way the Bible, you talk about understatement. The ground opens up, 3,000 people and their family and all that they own just goes down into that hole and then it closes up. And great fear came among the people. You think? <laughs> Wouldn't that get your attention? It'd get mine. I believe the rest of us would walk a little bit straighter and narrower the next day, don't you? We're not going to sacrifice what God has told us to do just for the sake of unity. Now, God hates division. I understand that. But God expects us to obey His voice. The last thing I want to share with you to think about that impress people but not God, and that's experts. You know what I love? I love holding meetings. I really do. And the reason is I'm not in Gunner. And I become an expert. <laughs> an expert is anybody that's over 150 miles away from home, apparently. Now, Gunner, we're going to have a meeting to kind of help kickstart the work and all that. And we're going to bring Brother Craig in. We need an expert. <laughs> He'll be more than 150 miles from here, so that makes him an expert, see? People are impressed with letters behind our name. My dad told me one time that I'd be able to tell everybody when he got done with me that I had a Ph.D. And he, he was right. I am a post-hole digger. <laughs> and that's what his version of Ph.D. was. But have you ever noticed that there's some guy that went to a school somewhere and he's got a... There's nothing wrong with education. I think people ought to have it, maybe more of it. But this string of letters, all of a sudden people get so smart... They walk away from God. Now that's a problem. Chance graduated college, my youngest son, a couple of years ago, I guess it was, whatever. But I remember his first day of school. He went to the little junior college there at home, and he went to a philosophy class or something that he had to take, I don't know. And the very first thing the professor said was, those of you that believe in God are stupid and you won't when I get done with you. Now, the beauty of this was I was paying that fellow <laughs> to teach my kid that. Now, hopefully, he didn't get that done with that boy. But people are impressed because somebody's got a string of letters behind their name. I remember years ago, there was a young man that I grew up with and... His dad was a marriage counselor. And he, this kid was weepy. I said, what's wrong with you? He goes, my mom and dad are getting a divorce, but I'm not supposed to tell anybody because it'll ruin the business. <laughs> and I know marriage counselors have problems too. But folks, just because somebody's got a little string of letters behind their name doesn't mean they know more than God or greater than God. 1 Timothy 6, chapter 20, verse, chapter 20, verse 20 warns us about science falsely called. Just because science believes it makes it right?
Proverbs 14 and 12, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And the reason is, no matter how expert a man is, he doesn't think like God unless he knows God's will. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And I'm not going to go down through science and all that stuff and go into evolutions and all this stuff and global warming and all that kind of stuff. You believe what you want to about that kind of stuff. But I'm going to tell you what, some of that stuff, you've got to have a lot of faith to believe in it. And it takes a whole lot less to believe in God. But I know there's a way that seems right to man. You know, the Bible tells us it's not in man that walketh to direct his steps. God can tell you how to live. God will tell you how to do. It comes down to this. God does not think like me and you. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. There's not going to be any cafeteria religion. Just pick and choose what you want. It's not going to be Burger King on Judgment Day. Have it your way. It's going to be God's way. Who are you following tonight? Are you following the voice of God? Does He dwell in you? That's where He wants to be. If we can help you, come as we stand and sing.